welcome to the YPM podcast, the first one of the new year. Uh, so, myself, Ant Lyons, and my co-host, and Carrie Dowin. Hello. Hello. So, it, new year, new you. You've no, been. Um, new have year, you been to, old me. Have you been to the gym yet since it's been the uh, new year? You know what? I went on New Year's Day. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet you did. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, uh, podcast listeners. She speaks of nothing else. I, mean, I don't think she even goes. I don't think she even goes. It's all a lie. It's all a lie, isn't it? So, uh, okay. So, uh, first podcast back of the new year. Um, uh, I managed to put on quite a lot of weight over the Christmas period. So, you're getting more ant for your money than, than usual. Um, hopefully, going to lose that over the next couple of weeks. But um, we, it's that weird time of year, isn't it, where we're sort of, over the Christmas New Year period, everyone's setting plans, setting goals for the new year. And then quite often what happens is you kind of get into the first week and life takes over. So it's like my dry January, really. I... How long did that last? Uh, 11 and a half hours. Oh, well, well done. It was a good run at it. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I tried really hard. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So today's podcast is... Um, we've got some old friends of YPN and some good friends of YPN on, on here. Uh, and they, they, we were talking through a project of theirs. And we shared loads of theirs in the pages of YPN before in the past. So it's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to welcome back Jane and Joe Harling. So hello, guys. Hi. Hi, guys. Hi. How are you all doing? Yeah, hi. All right. Yeah. So today's project is a little bit different because we've we've... I don't know how many of yours we've covered in the pages of YPN and on webinars before, but it's got to be, you know, nearly a dozen or something now, half a dozen to a dozen, something like yeah. that. And quite a few, yeah. yeah. And, and they've been, uh, I'm trying to think back, but in the main, they've been kind of buildings into apartments, some very high end, some kind of middle of the road-ish. Uh, but it, the sort of common theme with that is sort of biggish buildings into flats, into apartments. And you have carved out a niche in becoming very well known at doing that and, 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 and very accomplished it to some great projects on a budget and turning them around and making some nice profits. But today is different, isn't it? Well, it is because uh, we came across uh, our latest project, what we're doing now, and when we looked at it immediately, first of all, our default, ah, how many apartments will fit into this was the first thing that sprung to mind. And Before we go into it, what, what is it and where is it? Wow. So again, this follows in with our latest thing that we do where looking for where there's demand and so on. So not necessarily the big city centres, but this is in a market town in Wiltshire. So Trowbridge. So we're talking, um, you know, reasonable size market town but definitely not city centre location and um, Trowbridge historically had a big um, sort of woolen cotton mill um, history it's uh, what the town um, grew up on and there's a number of old woolen mills and so on left in the uh, in the town being used to various states of decay and in particular the one that we ended up buying from the council was one that in latter years had been used as the youth centre Okay. Uh, they didn't, I think um, so what, what sort of state was it in because I've, I know Trowbridge you know a bit I've, I've got a couple of properties there actually rental ones and um, I don't know it very well I don't think I've been back to any of them in, in, in over a decade actually touch wood long may that continue um, but, but Trowbridge is 
um, it, it, a lot of those buildings, they, you know, some of them are falling to bits, aren't they? Well, this was structurally very sound. It was owned by Wiltshire Council, who maintained it pretty well. But I think it's true to say <clears throat> the youth centre had had its number of um, sort of antisocial problems and so on going on there um, in more sort of recent years and in closed down a few years ago. And so the inside was um, a bit of a mishmash of open spaces, um, sort of with various degrees of wild paint kind of things on the wall from the youth centre, but very much kind of stud work offices and so on upstairs. So although this was a grade two listed building, as it is one of um, the last remaining woolen mills um, in Trowbridge, the reality was, is that inside there was no historic features whatsoever. Because I think that's one of the beauties with commercial listed buildings, and that very often there aren't the features inside. You know, there's no sort of ornate fireplaces and thing and all that kind of stuff. It was literally just big open floor. So it's a big, long building, but you could literally see from one end of it right down to the other. So from our point of view, from a conversion point of view, as long as we left the exterior um, and enhanced that um, you know, for the town's benefit and listed um, historic status, inside, really, conservation weren't terribly worried about what we did because there was, in actual fact, nothing inside to preserve. It was just like, really big open spaces or inappropriate modern um, you know, modern um, stud works and so on. Well, that's interesting. So how did... How come it was so, you know, quite well preserved on the outside, even though it was listed, but yet it, there was nothing on the inside? How did they get away so they, with doing that in the first place? Well, because it was a woolen mill, um, there was big open spaces. It's like a warehouse. Yeah, big warehouse. Oh, big, big, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, no, nothing like a mill with a lovely water mill outside, no, not that type mm -hmm. of mill. It's more just a warehouse. Hmm. But they're quite cool looking, aren't they? You know, like we're going to show some pictures of it, uh, uh, obviously in the pages of YPN. Sort of very, very sort of long, uh, bit long buildings, isn't it? I don't know how many square feet the, the, the thing was in, 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 in you know, in total. Um, well, each house is about 100 square metres. <laughs> given given the clue away there. Oh, oh, she's done it, yeah. So... Okay, so you, you, you let the cat out of the bag that, you know, in, in the past, you've really looked at turning these buildings into apartments. Yeah. But what made you, and, and these ones you decided to go for kind of townhouses out of them, what made you look at that as an alternative then? Well, what happened to us is we looked at us and immediately with our default eyes to apartments and thought, yeah, okay, so listed buildings, there's no prior approval applicable in this particular building. So we were very much governed by minimum space standards and so on. And we figured, yeah, we'd probably get 12 decent size apartments in it. And um, kind of did a back of the napkin calculation on the figures. And thought, yeah, yeah, it works, it's valid, it's valid as a deal. So the next thing we do then, as well as looking at the figures, is very much look at demand, um, which is like so important in these current uncertain times. If I can add there, this mm. is what a lot of people don't do. They may find a project, think, mm. what, I buy this for 100,000, I can put a zillion properties in there. Mm -hmm. But they can't sell a fault to the exit. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, we did um, a bit of research and we discovered that actually there'd been quite a few new build flats um, built in Trowbridge and the surrounding areas quite recently. And a large number of them were still unsold. And so we came to the conclusion, well, hey, if we convert to 12 apartments here, 
there's going to be even more possibly unsold at the end of the day. So we did our research and we looked and we found there was far more demand for family housing, three, four bed housing in the town. So then we thought, well, hang on a minute, rather than kind of go with what everybody tries to do about trying to squeeze the maximum number of units in, what if we reduce the number of units down and instead of doing 12 reasonable size apartments, which would have been doable from a planning point of view, what about if we scale it back down and you know, what does the building look like? And we stood back and looked at it and we thought, well, there's 14 windows along the whole width of the building. And we thought that naturally kind of splits into a terrace of seven houses, each using two windows. So, okay, let's take a look at the figures as seven townhouses, three to four bed, which we could see there was more demand for in the town. And I must admit, it was quite a surprise to discover the extent of the increase in profit because the profit practically was double. So we were lessening the intensity, but doubling the profit. So because, did you, oh, sorry, did you do all this research before you bought it or yes. in the research? Oh, yes, yes. In fact, yes. most of this was done. It was a block viewing and there were lots and lots of people at the viewing. Most of this was done sat in the car just on my laptop while Joe was walking around the building looking at the structural state yeah. of the, the building. Okay. So pretty much knew before we left site that day what our options were. Okay, 12 flats, that works. Seven townhouses, that works. We considered, should we perhaps keep an element of commercial in the property? Because again, everybody always defaults to turning things residential, whereas sometimes actually keeping it um, commercial or some portion of it commercial is the best way to go. Certainly in Bristol at the moment, with offices, definitely the, you know, definitely the case. And... Um, we came to the conclusion that no, we would place our bid and work our figures based on the seven townhouses. So can we just talk a bit about the local market then and making that decision? Because I know Trowbridge a bit, but not very well. Um, and in the past, I sort of, you know, I guess sort of just post credit crunch, I was looking at apartments there to buy cheap flats that I could buy and, and, and renovate. And back then there was a lot of a bit, almost a sort of a bit of an oversupply actually of, um, flats if I'm totally honest and you can mm -hmm. buy them relatively cheap um, mm -hmm. and so when I was looking at doing them to, to rent it kind of made sense but when I was looking at doing some to sort of buy and renovate and then sell on there wasn't a great end market in it um, did you come to a similar conclusion I did and I said and added to this is quite a number of new build developments as well going on so of course they've got their new build premium for the flats added onto it but again there's lots and lots you know there's lots available we thought do we really want to join that scrum you know looking for the available um, buyers particularly you know what with um, the uncertainty of the market and so on and nobody really knows how it's going you know if they don't sell will we be able to rent them and will the rents then come down because if everybody can't sell then everybody will only compete against each other rent wise um, you know, on single let flats. And so again, we thought houses, you know, this opens our options a lot more because at three, four bed houses, you know, we can multi-let and room share them or let them to families, but there's a good opportunity there if they don't sell to refinance, put out enough money to repay the development finance and hold them for one, two, three years, whatever it takes for, you know, the market, if it does dip, to come back because at the moment I don't believe anybody really knows knows what's going to happen. So we're just no, so, 
Yeah, you know, just and the and Trowbridge has um, undergone a bit of a, a bit of development actually, hasn't it? Over the last few years, they've put in that kind of big cinema complex with all the you know whatever it is, Wagamamas, and you know all those yeah. places you would expect. And um, I love a Wagamamas. Yeah. Place. Oh, is that is that now the closest one? To no, me? I don't know. Maybe yeah, it might be 40, yeah. Forty-five minutes. Yeah, worth it. Yeah, worth it. Yeah. <laughs> because the development backs onto the town park, which is actually lovely. It's a lovely space, the town park. And the other side of the town park is this complex. So you can walk to Wagamama's and the oh. cinema and the town in like less than five minutes, which we were only saying yesterday, actually, we were over there having lunch. And, uh, we could, actually, it would be very dangerous for us to move into one of our houses. <laughs> 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 we would you follow need to you um, need to do like we do at the moment. So Jane and Joe just live, you know, practically yeah. neighbours of mine a few miles up the road, which if you live where we live, that's n almost next door neighbours, really. You know, we live very remotely. And this, it's not that bad for the waistline, actually, because you've got to go travel 20 minutes to go anywhere decent to eat, don't you? So. Uh, and they don't like to deliver up um, our way. No, I, I, um, I got the, uh, was it, uh, I don't know, Uber food or whatever it is app, you know, where you can get food. Um, delivered and I like, put in my address and they went, yeah, we don't deliver that. Uber Eats. Yeah, I put in okay. Uber Eats. Yeah, nowhere delivers to you. So, um, very yeah. often. Oh, yeah. So, um, we, we missed all the bit, which, you know, we should have done that actually earlier on, really, about saying how you found this place in, in the first place and, um, and, and, and Joe's favourite bit, negotiating on it. So, let's, let's come back and um, this talk about no, it wasn't creative. So, so how we came about it, first of all, was we always, we always keep our eyes open for developments and so on. So we're always on, you know, the online sites and so on, looking at always thinking about our commercial agents, telling people what we do and, you know, just generally looking around for opportunities. And you know, even if it isn't a commercial conversion, you always got to keep your eye open, haven't you, for opportunities. And... Um, one of our mentees actually said to us, oh, I'm really struggling to find any commercial conversions out there. We can't find much going on at all. And we said, well, they are out there. And they said, well, I can't find them. And so literally when we put the phone down, I just went on to Right Move Commercial and Property Link and just tapped away and just thought, oh, let's see what I can find. And it popped up. So it literally popped up as a result of um, being told, oh, there's nothing available. And I was like, yes, there is. And I found it straight away. So um, we went over and it was, um, I said, it was a closed down youth centre at that time. Block viewing, lots and lots of people there. Judging by the conversation, what everyone was saying, pretty much everyone was having the apartments idea. Some inappropriate plan, thinking about doing some new build on the ground surrounding it which wouldn't have been very attractive to the um, conservation team at all. And so consequently, it went to sealed bids. So there was no opportunity for anything creative because, you know, we love doing terms all the time. So we're always looking to save holding costs um, by doing advantageous terms. But here we were talking straight sealed bids, no terms. Um, included. And we weren't the first successful bidder. We didn't win. Okay. So we were, I was pretty devastated actually because you know, I think you, you probably know, Aunt, uh, you know, there's sometimes, you know, some projects work just from a figure's point of view, and then there's some other projects which you really want to do, you know, and I, this was one that I really wanted to do. 
you know, I just thought, you're doing this um, conversion. This would be, this would be good. And um, we didn't, we didn't win the bid. So of course, what we did then was immediately started calling the agent up every week saying, how's it going then? How's the sale progressing? Um, this is what we always do. Mm -hmm. If we don't, if our offer's not accepted, we always ring the agents once a week. I say, hi, Stella, how's court meals going? Going great, Joe. Okay, I'll ring next week. So ring next week, going great, Joe. Ring next week. Joe, don't worry, if it falls out of bed, I'll ring you. No, I know you're busy, Stella. I don't want you, you know, going to any trouble, I'll ring you. I don't want you forgetting me. No, so this went on for about nine weeks. Kept ringing up. How's it going, Stella? It's going through great, Joe. It's going through great. On like the ninth week, how's it going, Stella? It's going to legals. It's going to legals on Wednesday. Okay, I'll still ring you just in case. Two days after, phone goes. Oh, hi, Joe. Stella here. Court Mills. Are you still interested? Oh yeah, absolutely. So we, so we. So what in. happened? Do you know why it yeah, fell out well, of bed? Or? You know, well, we, we don't know for sure, but um, the general talk on the grapevine, shall we say, um, is that perhaps somebody um, was thinking of being a bit too ambitious in their plans, what they plan to it's do. It's got some grounds at the front of the yeah, building. And, you know, we're talking a listed building and there's too many people try and squeeze unrealistic things into a listed building that just simply aren't appropriate and sympathetic. And um, reading between the lines, we wonder whether or not they worked their figures out on uh, something way too ambitious for the type of building that it's it also was. Also building on the land just in front of it. Mm, it would impact Doing on the new uh, building. listed building, yeah. yeah. So we went in with a totally realistic scheme. Of course, we had spoken to conservation. Our planning consultant had had extensive conversations. Conservation had been out to site as well and had a look around. So we knew that what we were proposing was eminently doable, that it would be supported by conservation as well as the planning team. Yeah. Apart from our point of view, knowing that it worked very well from a demand and a figures point of view. Mm, that was something I was going to ask, actually. At what point do you get conservation in? Do you do it before, before you've put the offer in or do you do it once you've put the offer in or can you only do it once you know, you've exchanged it? planning consultants and architects so much it's very much a question literally actually while I was sat in the car outside I called up our consultant so I've got this 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 property here this that and the other features thinking of doing this that and the other I didn't see any constraints do you so we had a pretty good idea from him that he was in agreement with me that there wasn't any constraints here. So we went ahead um, at that stage. He put in a phone call to the conversation to the conservation officer. Look, you know, got this kind of idea. You know, basically, would you be broadly supportive of this? Yeah, you know, obviously you'd need to put in a pre-app for me to come out. Yeah, yeah, blah blah. So again, at that stage, we went ahead and put in the offer pretty certain of success but in between putting in the offer and exchanging contracts we did pay a pre-app fee we did get conservation out to site did get their opinion and then we did get everyone's opinions written um, actually down in writing as well as verbally so we had all of that before we exchanged because it was another it was an unconditional exchange and I think that's what made us the successful bidder in the end that most people because it was a listed building were going in you know with conditions you know subject to planning this that and the other but because we were sure of where we were we went straight in with you know we'll buy it 
and we'll take a chance on the planning. And what was the time frame from completing on the purchase or, you know, exchanging the purchase and then, uh, and then completing through to a planning permission being granted? Well, by, um, February 14th, Valentine's Day, we completed on the property and the planning went through in June. Okay, so that was February 2018 and planning yeah. through in, in June, yeah? Yeah, and that included having the plans drawn up, getting the, the site survey done, and um, it, it was actually in planning once the application had been validated for nine weeks. Okay, so, and we're going to talk yeah. about the financials in a bit, but we'll save that because, you know, some pretty exciting numbers on it. And I want to yeah. talk about the difference in terms of the build. Um, so, you know, you've got very good at converting listed buildings, mm -hmm. non-listed buildings into apartments. This is a slightly different proposition. And um, when uh, Harry and I were sort of talking earlier on offline, we were wondering whether or not the build is more complicated or in some ways more straightforward by doing houses rather than flats, or is it just different? Yeah, well, here's the thing. There's no communal spaces. There's no communal yeah. spaces. So all the, um, the fire regulations that, of course, you know that we normally have to contend with, none of those are applicable. So, um, and what is that the same for some of the sound insulation between well, floors? Yeah, because the thing is, is that each property is self-contained, if you like. And so we don't have any kind of like other dwellings above existing dwellings or flying freeholds or anything of that nature at all. And so consequently, you don't need soundproofing in between all the floors. You do need soundproofing in between the actual separation walls of the seven dwellings. But by the time you've put in block work cavity there and just put some insulation in it, that's literally the extent you need to go to. Now we have put down some soundproofing in between the bedrooms and the living areas, just purely for the uh, comfort and well-being of the flats and so on. But there's no necessity for sound testing between the floors and so on. There's no necessity for fire alarms linking the whole area. And that's purely a matter if you chose to put in smoke and fire alarms, they can just be the battery type which you're making just as an enhanced um, feature and so on and uh, of course it's a listed building so there's no EPCs there's no SAP requirements because it's a conversion and not a new build so you don't have the onerous energy requirements that you do with a new build house so all in all um, no it's quite it's quite light from the regulations point of view of course we ran all of our plans past our private building regs before we submitted the planning application that's a really important matter because we wanted to make sure that we didn't want our plans to pass and then building regs to say, oh, you know, we don't like this. We couldn't support this. We wouldn't, you know, we, we couldn't have this kind of configuration at all. So we get building regs approval before we actually even submit the planning application. You know, and they're, they're another pair of eyes as well. They sometimes see, you know, different ways, you know, like, oh, if you thought if you didn't staircase there, if you put it there, you'd have more space here. And you think, that's a good idea. A lot of people mm. treat building regs as the enemy. Mm. They will get their planning passed and then the building regs will come in and say, well, what are you doing? I need to see what your calculations are for this and whatever. Oh, yeah, but I'll plan for you pass. Well, that's different. Building regs are different kettle of fish. Mm. So we always make sure our plans are sent to our building regs people for their input. For their input, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so um, and, and the warrant. It would be easy to come unstuck by that, wouldn't it? You know, to, if, you, if you kind of 
proceeded ahead without it. And, um, you know, when you're doing apartments and stuff like that, lobbying certain areas, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily think about it, but building, no, to be building risk compliant, it would need to be in, in, in place. Yeah, and you know, and we have actually seen properties, opportunities out there for sale with planning permission and listed consent, which would never be allowed to be occupied or built because somebody hasn't considered building regulations and quite simply it would never go through building. So the planning and the listed consent is actually, you know, completely worthless because weirdly you would think that planning authorities would consult with their building regulations team and some councils do, but the majority don't. So that's yeah. the reason I always prefer to go private building regs and we get them involved right at the planning stage and our builder at the planning stage and our consultant. We'll get everybody's opinion because everybody's a fresh pair of eyes and we end up with a better scheme with the benefit of everybody's knowledge and experience. And, and, and any particular specialist works on this site um, because obviously listed buildings are all different and you know sometimes they've got, you know, the weird and wonderful. The weird and wonderful. <laughs> so is there anything that on this one that you, you thought, okay, well, you know, this is going to be a challenge to the builder or we're going to have to bring somebody in externally for this? Yeah, so, so what happened here was because it was an ex-industrial building, we had some horrible fire escapes on the outside, really inappropriate, and a nasty modern blockworky type of extension on the back, which the youth centre had its kitchen in. But we used this to our advantage. What we said to the planning officer, the conservation guy, was, look, you know, they're pretty ugly, aren't they? And he said, yeah, I don't really like them. And we said, look, in order for our scheme to work, we need seven extra windows at first floor level at the rear. We need seven new back doors. So we need to change the exterior of this listed building really quite a great deal at the back. If we get rid of all the carbuncles on this building would you let us do that? And he said, yeah, I think that's a fair exchange because they are ugly. And then he said around the front now, look, where this was an ex-woolen mill, we can see the archways where the carts would have been brought in and out in 1850. And we said, yeah, so how about then if we were to open up those archways and use those as the actual door frames, you know, would you let us then change the metal windows downstairs to Georgian and Victorian type wooden windows. He said, yeah, I think I'd like that. I think that would work well. But then of course, conservation officers, they've always got to have their own way in the end. And mm. one thing he out the back was, oh, he said, this wire fencing is a bit ugly, isn't it? He said, look, he said, the rest of the park has got lovely iron railings. Mm. So he groaned and thought, oh, we know what's coming here. So he said, I'd really like it if you could put nice iron railings around all your gardens. And he said, you know what? That would be a fantastic idea. Let's do it. So it's kind of give and take and, you know, constraints. And so this is where the expenses come in on this development. You know, we've not had to do the fire escapes, you know, fire um, alarms. We've not isolation and that type of thing. What we have had to do is huge window because we've got something like about fifty thousand pounds worth of replacement windows, overhaul windows, new windows, new doorways, and so on. So that's been a major cost. Um, we've got quite a few thousand going to um, iron railings out the back, but hey ho, that's what you've got to do. You've got to do. 
And um, yeah, so the repair work, brushing down and looking at stonework outside and reusing, reusing materials, what we can in, in, in constructing um, the new doorways to make you know the archways and so on. So, so if you if, it's if, that you, kind of area we've been uh, And if you've got to find sort of specialist, you know, workmen, specialist trades to do a lot of this work, or have you got your existing builders kind of managing most of it. Our we use to manage it. Um, he's a really good guy we use. He knows lots of trades out there. So he's actually got the people in for the windows, because like Jane said, he needs some new windows, new doors, and the new openings we're doing. So from our point of view, we just know the people who can. We leave it up to our team. We kind of point where we want to do, go, what we need to do. And we leave it up to them. We learned a while ago that we think it's best to get a main contractor to bring in your own plumber, your own electrician, and your own window company, and so on. So we tend to leave our contractor to coordinate the trades, and we pay the contractor. Otherwise, you get into the blame game. You know, something goes wrong, and the electrician says, "Oh, well, my fault. It was a plumber," and you know, blah blah, and so on. And kind of learned a long time ago. So that's the kind of way we get around it. <laughs> Can we talk through the sort of financials on this then? Because it's a pretty exciting project by, by, by anyone's uh, standards, really. So I'm um, really interested to hear the kind of purchase price, you know, the, the cost of the works and all those other costs, you know, because they're the bits that people rarely factor in. So how much did you pay for the building? If... Say what we pay for the building, but say how we did our research, how much extra we could pay. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah okay. So, I mean, the first thing I want to say is that a lot of people think that in order to make um, meaningful, large amounts of money on conversions of property, you have to spend absolutely millions and you have to go for, you know, projects where the commercial building is a million plus and that kind of stuff. And that's absolutely not the case. In fact, we think the holding costs on properties of that size, you know, can be quite, um, you know, quite in quite a negative so to speak and so we did our figures working out we always start at the end and so we'd worked out the gross development value of our seven houses and worked backwards and the, the um asking price for this property was offers over 250. now it's pretty obvious to anybody with any experience that you weren't going to pick up this property for 250. Um, and we understand the winning bid was well in excess of 400. however we went in with an option of um, a menu of offers we went in with a lower unconditional offer and a higher conditional one and in the end the offer that got accepted was an unconditional one for 327,200 so substantially over the asking price but enough to win the sealed bid but way way below our bottom line figure what we've worked out we could go to. So 327,000 for this big, big chunk of building. So you don't want to spend mega bucks, you know, to get into it at all. So uh, yes, the, um, 
build costs, yes, they're quite substantial, really. Our build costs, um, the actual building um, costs alone are about 596,000. We're looking at somewhere in the region of about 660, including like the utilities and the flooring and, you know, landscaping and all that kind of stuff. So I said a lot of that is not far off 100 grand. Per, per, per yeah, I was about to say, how much does that work out per house? Yeah, but yeah, not too far off of that. But I said, but a lot of that is not actually conversion costs. It's rather more enhancing the actual structure of the, the, the building, the listed building. So not kind of repairs, but kind of enhancements, improvements, I think, mm -hmm. to the structure. So um, another thing we're building in here, though, is that... Uh, We've worked quite extensively with our builder in the past and we want to keep him on side because he's always on time and on budget. And so because of that, we want to bring him into a slight profit share as well. And so our builder is actually getting 10% of the profits. So we've built that into the build costs as well. So that's something to keep him on side with us. And in fact, our builder is actually buying one of the um, properties, one of the houses himself, which um, it will be possible. Um, I don't know what, which way he's going to structure it yet, but it would possibly be possible for him to be able to purchase his property with no cash in. And I think that's a great, great incentive to a loyal builder and to keep him on side and working with us in future. Absolutely. So that's, yeah, that, that we're a route that we're going down. So, uh, yeah, so we've got quite extensive, but we've got 725,000 in the budget, including his um, share of profit and so on. Um, already sort of the flooring and utilities will go over but into the contingency, but we should be pretty safe at coming in somewhere in that kind of uh, vicinity. Um, done it in a company structure, um, that registered the company. So uh, the VAT is reclaimed anyway, so that's not um, an issue. So that's um, XVAT and so on on there. Uh, the planning costs, um, on there yeah we always go with the consultant and we get the consultant to put the actual application in we didn't go with an architect on this one we went with uh, uh, an, an architectural designer a technician and so on so he did all the plans and um, the drawings and so on the consultant put the application in uh, the council we did try and put one change of use application in sometimes we get away with it one fee for one change of use but no Wiltshire were too switched on for that so hang on a minute there are seven houses going on there we want seven fees damn worth trying in there so um yeah we had seven fees there but one thing which was unfortunate in this um in this project which we possibly could have um, done something about if we'd been quicker off the mark, is um, because we weren't the first successful bid that had been put in, and by the time the first one fell out of bed and then it came back to us and then we did a buying thing, it meant that the property hadn't been occupied and in commercial use for six months within the last three years, which meant we now became liable to a sale um, levy, a council infrastructure levy, not because of the new build conversion type um, work, but because the property had been empty for too long a period. So unfortunately, we had to cough up a seal payment of £39,000, which is the first 
council infrastructure levy we've ever had to pay in 20 years yeah. has broken our record and we were yeah. a little bit cross about that but um so our building costs our planning costs in the end including this bill has come out nearly fifty-five thousand, which is uh, not not very attractive yeah. but it's okay. a great gdp because working at the um 12 12 flats Average flats for sale uh, around the ninety hundred thousand pound mark, something like that in uh, Trowbridge and so on. Yeah, they might go on for more than that as a new build, but ultimately, I think that's where the value of flats are. So, I wouldn't build in any more than that. And uh, so, at a GDV of around the sort of like one point one, one point two million um, level, you know, so on. But then, when we looked at houses, we thought, well, this is interesting. Three bed houses, yeah, 250, four bed, 275, that kind of region. You know, we actually had some agents going to um, like 275 and 295, but we thought, no, mm. you need to be realistic here and so on. So we scaled back and went with where we felt comfortable. Ended up with a GDV of 1,840. And so that is what made the profits. Um, double from the early 200s, which the flats conversion would have come out to, to a projected, um, it's certainly um, the right side of 500,000 profits should be on this um, project. So it just goes to show you mega projects with loads of joint venture partners and loads of giving away all your equity and that kind of stuff. At this level, it's been very possible to just, to just do it ourselves. So you don't have to share the profits with anyone other than kind of like we're just giving 10% you know, to our builder as an incentive, as a bonus, really, a loyalty bonus. I think it's brilliant. And, you know, more people should look at, um, you know, doing projects like this rather than squeezing in as many units as they can. Because as you say, I, you know, I, I've looked at Trowbridge before and came to the same conclusion that, you know, a decent flat's 90 to 100 grand and a not so decent one is 80 grand really, isn't it? And that's all or less. Um, Sorry, I was going to say also as well, because they're now townhouses, they've got little back gardens. Mm. Not huge mm. gardens, but now they've got the outside space. Mm. You've got a huge park behind it. Mm. And we've got a big grass area and parking and everything in the front of the building. Yeah. So it's got communal space and... Um, yeah, so they've got areas gardens. for their barbecues now in the back. Mm. So it's fine. So we very much envisage that these properties would go to uh, families, young families. So we didn't go for a kind of like, again, we see, you know, on the internet everywhere, it goes for the wow factor and all these, what you know, really imaginative design and really futuristic and things like that. And we thought, hang on a minute, so what do families want? What's the most important thing for families? And we came to the conclusion, you know what, they want practicality and they want storage. They want storage, storage space. So we haven't opened things up to the rafters and all this kind of stuff and exposed the roof beams and so on. We've got a load of storage in the roof. So we've just built storage in wherever we can to make these houses really family friendly and practical. And we think well, that's going to be more of a selling point than something being, you know, weirdly, you know, and, you know, we're not in the centre of a city. You know, we're in Trowbridge. We're in family practical, you know, land. And that's where we sort of pitched, um, yeah, pitched it to be. I always yeah. think you guys are very good at understanding your your end market, and not not everybody is, are they? They they try and you know if you try to do kind of high end loft apartments in Trowbridge, it's probably well, not going to sell. Like you know this because you've been in property a long time, like us. 
And those of us like us have been in property for all these years, know good times and we know bad times. We know when the markets can change, how swiftly they can change. And we know the importance of backups and safety nets and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, we're very much looking at the long game here and looking, uh, you know, at, at, what could, at what could go wrong. What if it's, some, you know, what if Brexit is another 2009 or another 1989? You know, we, we remember both of those well. And we're making sure that, you know, we'll survive this one as well as we did 89 and 2009. Just going back to something you said earlier, though, Anne, and that was about these other costs. And you're right, that's the area which most, um, most people seem, in our experience, to forget all about. And because, yeah, you've got the GDV we've talked about, we've talked about the build costs, we've talked about the planning costs, and we've talked about the purchase price and so on. And quite often, that's where a lot of people leave it. Or they may add in a bit of, you know, say, well, I've got, I've got some finance and it's a one percent a month and so we'll build that interest in as well and they forget about all the other costs that surround it and although our build costs are 724,000 and our planning costs are 55 our total costs are 1,274,000 it's like just imagine if we'd forgotten about all those other costs yeah. and in our price not taking into account those other costs. I know, I know in, the, in the article that goes into the magazine, we're going to do a breakdown of it, some of those costs as well, because I think it's really useful. People just overlook them all the time. I've always done, well, I've been doing like a very rough calculation. I've always said, well, I'll take the purchase price and I'll take the bill cost and I'm going to add on another 20 to 25% on, mm. on those other costs. And it's, everyone goes, really? And I think, you'll mm. see. We'll see. <laughs> Our professional costs alone, 28,000. We've got the agent's fees, selling costs at the other end of it and so on. And, um, you know, they alone um, come to like 45,000 by the time, you know, you've got your legals and all that type of thing. And, uh, yeah, uh, the finance costs, people forget about arrangements, fees and lenders, legals and, you know, all the kind of things that surround it. And another thing we're coming across quite often nowadays is that a lot of people are working with private investors. So they've got their main development loan and their own their own like bridging loan or something rather, and they've got development in, you know investors as well that they're bringing in, and they tend to remember the one percent they're paying to the development finance company, but they don't build in what they're paying to their inv private investors, and we're seeing that increasingly as well. As though they don't they forget that actually their private investor is really in reality another mortgage. They want, they want to get paid. They, they definitely want to get paid. They want to get paid. Yeah. 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 And if they're not going to figures because they think of them as just being my friend who's lending me some money rather than the official, you know, Lloyd's Bank or whoever, then, uh, yeah. And as, as we sort of come towards the end of the podcast now, what, what was the, and I know you're kind of, you're midway through this one, just coming towards the end of it, aren't you? And so what, what's the sort of time scale and time frame on the, the build and exit of the, because I always think as well, people underestimate how long it will take to build and how long it will take to sell. Yeah, right. Okay, so the last development we did, we bought January 2017, planning in the same time scale, the build in the same time scale, sold off plan all within seven days of launching and we were out by April 2018. So that's 15 months for the full conversion. We were planning on exactly the same kind of configuration here. The planning went through in June, build started um, late July, and the building works are scheduled to finish in April. 
just launched it off plan now, just starting to do the um, marketing and so on. Will they all sell quickly off plan? If we've been here a year ago, I would have said, sure, I'd expect them all to be gone. This current economic climate, even though they all qualify for help to buy scheme, I don't know if they will. So it's due to fin finish at the end of April. In an ideal, perfect world, all of those like, reservation fees paid on them be sold off plan. Will that happen with Brexit at the moment and so on? I don't know, and I wouldn't put any money on it. So with that um, proviso, we've already been to see the broker. We've already started exploring what opportunities do we have to refinance for one, two, three, four, five, however many may not sell on time to release funds and hold them for a year or maybe two years. But in, the current, but in the current market, having a plan B and maybe a plan C as well for, you know, multiple exit strategies. And also, you know, you've built seven houses. It's not 30 or 40, is it? You know, I think if I was doing, a, if I was trying to sell 40 houses right now, I'd be nervous. Definitely. So by from February 2018 until May 2019, they'll have gone through full planning, enlisted consent. They'll have all been built out. They'll either have been sold off plan or refinanced enough to release the equity and a little bit extra as well. Um, you know, and then they'll go over to be rented. So they'll have, they will be out in one exit or another by May. Mm. So at what point will you decide to take them off the market and to then refinance uh, to rent them? Literally right at the end. Okay. Like right not till April, May, then we'll put them. If it looks as though, hey, you know what, we're, you know, the market isn't looking too good. We've sold four, we've got three remaining or something. At that point, then we'll probably put them into a refinance and so on and may let them on a six month and then review it as the market. I don't think you're going to be doing that, to be honest. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm actually selling a property not far from there at the moment, about eight ten miles away and it was a bit tired and stuff and i just put in a new bathroom put in a new kitchen painted it throughout put some carpets in and it went that week and you know people are uh, you know people are buying and you're in the point of the market where you know it's not it's not super high end you're kind of in that midpoint where actually a lot of people can afford it and they get a new yeah. product it it doesn't look like a you know a barrett home or whatever it doesn't look like everything else does it it's unique and interestingly enough, although we, we, we thought our main market would probably be families and built in all the storage, the ones at the moment who are waiting to put down reservation fees are looking more like downsizers because of the proximity to the park and the, uh, you know, the, the restaurants and the cafes and the town centre and all that kind of stuff, which wasn't something we'd really considered. But people moving down, you know, families retiring, couples to somewhere where they can walk within, you know, we're right next door to the doctor's surgery as well. So it's actually a really practical place to live. Very convenient. Yeah, but yeah. we're always looking at the worst side. We're assuming it's going to be the worst Brexit ever, 2010, all over again. And we're most going to make sure that if that happens, we're still going to be okay. If it doesn't happen, anyway. But never mind. Okay. Well, yeah. I think it's uh, I think this podcast is really interesting one to get people mm. a looking at what you, what you can do differently with a building to think outside of you know the the norm and also 
you know, taking stock of, you know, where we are in the market now and, and your property strategy, reflecting that and the importance of safeguarding and mitigating the risks. You know, there is risk involved in property investing and developing. We know that. But mm-hmm. our job and your job as professional uh, developers is, is to um, mitigate the risk wherever possible. And I think it's been a brilliant one to share that today. So for those people listening to the podcast um, and they want to follow you guys and see what you're doing, um, how is the best way for them to do so? Well, hit the website, www.convertingproperty.com. We're very much kind of like we say on the tin, you know, converting properties, what we do, not commercial to resi always, definitely not offices to flats, but converting an existing property into another use that better suits today's marketplace and everything. So, um, yeah, we, we've got some online products that we're launching later on in the year, our Book is finally going to be ready. We've done it all ourselves, no ghostwriting or anything, and that should be out um, hopefully late spring or summer. So there's lots going on. We do we do little you know, videos and all this kind of stuff, and we're getting involved with YPN's um, your new um, Facebook um, thing as yeah, well. Yeah, this, oh, this is y, YPN Extra, which I did the first yeah. webinar last night, uh, which was kind of cool. Where... You, sorry, our first webinar, not your first webinar. I said I was. Oh, did you? Sorry, I must have cut. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, we did our first live webinar last night, uh, and it's really exciting. So it's, it's, it's kind of for those people that want to um, immerse themselves in, you know, it, it, a lot more in-depth than we can ever fit into the pages of the magazine. So if you're listening to the podcast, then it's, uh, you can learn out more about that at yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash extra. That's our VIP unlimited access product so there we go guys it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you again and i look forward to coming and and, and being incredibly nosy and having a look around the development so thank you for the invite you're both more than welcome yeah yeah show brilliant wagger ma'am as well we're there yeah yes we <laughs> that so look it, it's been a pleasure um if you've been listening to the podcast thanks for joining us again uh Wishing you the best of luck in your property endeavours in 2019. Can't believe I'm saying that number, but never mind. And we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can go to yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff. You can download the article that we create from the podcast so you can see all of the case study pictures, all the uh, financials um, and a bit more information uh, in there as well. And there's loads of other useful things to download uh, on that web page as well. And don't forget to rate, comment and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you.